Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. This morning we're back in Genesis after a few week hiatus in our study. We're going verse by verse through the book of Genesis, that book of foundations. Uh, if, the, if we don't have a, a good grasp of Genesis, and if Genesis is not true, the rest of the Bible will crumble, because it is Genesis that gives us the foundations of our faith, the very first verse, in the beginning, God. And that's where our faith starts, in the beginning. There, there, God is the originator of all of this, and we've been in this series for, I guess, a little over a year now on Sunday mornings, and we're walking through verse by verse this book of foundations and really understanding kind of the narrative of the Bible. I don't have time to take us through our, a review of our 37 or 38 uh, messages in this book, but a reminder of where we're at this morning, where we find ourselves, the book of Genesis begins with creation. And God, we believe, uh, we believe in creation. God created the heavens and the earth. The very uh, first words of the Bible tell us that. And so we have creation. God created, a, and it, He saw that it was good, a perfect creation. And uh, the crowning achievement of creation was man. God created man, and then from man He created woman. We have Adam and Eve. And uh, man messed up creation, what we call the fall. And so we have creation, and then we have the fall. And, and if you're familiar with Scripture, you're familiar with that, uh, the, the Bible story and the Bible truth there that Adam and Eve partook of that fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, their eyes were open, not in a good way. And it's not always good to be, uh, to, to have your eyes awakened, to be, have your eyes open to some things. Their eyes were open to sin. And a sin, the Bible says, by Adam entered into this world. And so um, God's perfect creation now had sin in there. And then really the rest of the Old Testament, really the rest of the Bible, is the narrative and the story of redemption. The Old Testament, the rest of the Old Testament is, is a, I've said it this way before, the Old Testament is pointing to a coming Savior, a coming Messiah. The New Testament is pointing back to a Messiah that has come. And why do we need a Messiah? Because of the fall. So we have creation, man messes it up, and God says, and we see pictures of redemption all through Genesis and all through the Old Testament, but God says, I'm going to send uh, a Savior, a Messiah, my, my only begotten Son, to be the answer, the propitiation for our sins. And, and so really that is, when we're reading about these characters, it's not just individual stories of random people that we're reading about. Really, the rest of the Old Testament is the story of a family that becomes a nation through which God is going to bring His Son, Jesus Christ. And so that family began by Abraham, and that's really where we've been the last couple of months is kind of some of the stories of Abraham. Why does Abraham matter? Abraham doesn't matter outside of the story of redemption. Abraham matters because it's through Abraham, God had made a promise to Abraham that through Abraham, through his lineage, God is going to send his son Jesus to be the redeemer, to be the savior for all that is wrong in this world. And so that's why it matters, that's why we study this family, the family of Abraham that is going to become the nation of Israel. Why do we care about these things? Why do we study them? It all is linked into that narrative of the redemption of the world. And we have made it past the halfway point of the book. And so we finished up, the last time we were in Genesis, we finished up Genesis chapter number 25, and uh, we're going to be this morning in Genesis 26. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you um, to turn to Genesis 26. Just about every Sunday I say something along the lines of, I'd encourage you uh, to look and see God's Word for yourself. Because if there is any true life change, if there is any true power in anything that I say today, it is not in my own imaginations or my, my uh, speech writing skills, it is in the Word of God. If there's any power, it's from the Word of God. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. If you're following along on a, a phone or a tablet, reading your Bible there, uh, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible this morning in Genesis chapter number 26. 
So we have in Genesis 20, uh, the first 25 chapters, we have the creation, we have the fall, then we have Abraham, God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham had two sons, right? Remember, the firstborn son, the son of the flesh was, talk to me, the son of the flesh with his, uh, the handmaid Hagar, what was that son's name? Talk to me. Ishmael, then the son of faith, the miracle son with Abraham and Sarah that God gave to Sarah in their old age. That miracle son was who? Isaac. Genesis 25, where we finished up, uh, told the story of Isaac's twin boys, Jacob and Esau. But now as we move into Genesis 26, it's interesting. Genesis 26 is actually the only chapter that is solely dedicated to Isaac. Now, we have piece, parts and pieces of Isaac's life story, like when Abraham took him up to, to, uh, on the mount to sacrifice him, and, and uh, in the chapters preceding and the chapters after, we'll see some references to Isaac, but this chapter we're in today is the only chapter that it's, that it's only about Isaac. He only really gets one chapter to himself in all of Genesis, and it's this chapter, Abraham's son, the, the miracle son, Isaac. We're going to be here, I believe, for three Sunday mornings. Uh, will be in this chapter um, today and two more Sundays. Next Sunday morning's message is going to be from the middle of the chapter, a message uh, on true worship. What is true worship? We have a lot of ideas about worship in, in the modern church today. What is, what is true worship? What, what does it come from? What leads to true worship? And what does it lead to? And we're going to talk about that next Sunday morning. And then um, the last message in this chapter, I believe, I'm going to bring a message uh, that I've titled, When Your Kids Break Your Heart. And there's a lot to be learned on that topic and that subject from Isaac and Rebecca. Um, when your kids break your heart. And so we're going to be here in this chapter for, for three Sunday mornings. This morning our message will come from the first half of the chapter. Let's begin in chapter 26, verse number one. So we have Abraham. God's made a promise to Abraham. God has given him a, uh, uh, that he's going to use his family to bless the whole earth through, uh, through a Messiah, through a Savior that's going to come. And now we have Isaac. Abraham has died in chapter 25, and so his son Isaac has been married to Rebekah. They have twin boys, Jacob and Esau, and that's where we find ourselves in chapter 26, verse number 1. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. This is, could be another, this could be a fourth message in this chapter. Um, but you'll see in chapter, in verse 1, it tells you there was a famine where they were at. There was a famine. They were having some hard times, some difficulties, paying their bills, if you will. And uh, the economy wasn't good. Inflation was high. The grocery store uh, shelves were, uh, were empty. And that was what was happening. And, and, and Isaac is beginning to make his way to Egypt. It's, it harkens back to his dad. There had been a time where his dad had made his way into Egypt, and God comes to Isaac, and, and there could be a message in there about Egypt in the Bible. Uh, is Fady in here this morning? I'm not sure if Fady. We have a, a dear man in our church from Egypt, and when we're studying Genesis, Egypt is often a picture of the world. It's a picture of those that are against God, those that, that are the enemies of God. And so I always feel bad because I use it as a, because the Bible does as a picture like, don't go down to Egypt. And like his family went to Egypt to visit their family last year, and, uh, and Jessica and Fady and their, their sweet son, Elijah. Um, but, but there's a picture there as believers. Be careful about all. Egypt is a picture, again, of the flesh, of doing things in our own wisdom, of the world, of doing things according to the world. Be careful when hard times come, running to worldly solutions, not trusting God. And God tells Isaac, Abraham had gone to Egypt. God, and by the way, at times God did tell his children to go to Egypt um, it, it, for certain things. Uh, but, but here God says in verse number two, go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Verse three, sojourn in this land and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. Would you read verse number four aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Does that verse sound familiar to you at all? I'm going to bless you. And your kids, 
and in your family all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Does that verse sound familiar at all? Does that sound like a, a repeat of anything we've studied or read here in Genesis? It's what we call the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of God to Abraham. And what do we see here, the Abrahamic covenant being given to Isaac? It was given to Abraham multiple times, now Isaac is receiving it. And this morning, as I read that and I studied this and read while I was in, on a vacation in Hawaii, I, I was encouraged and I was reminded now Isaac is receiving this promise. I loved the idea that God's promise wasn't just for Abraham, it was for Isaac as well. I love the idea that then it was going to be for Jacob, Isaac's son, and, and then for the 12 sons of Israel, Jacob's sons, and down unto David and others, and, and that it was that God's promise didn't stop with one generation, that God's promise didn't stop with one special guy, that God's promise continued from generation to generation. And this morning, I want to bring uh, uh, some simple applications from this thought, uh, a message that I've titled, God's Promises to another generation. God's promises to another generation. Liberty family, I want to remind us this morning, we need another generation to hear and receive and embrace and follow the promises of God. It's why we have a church, isn't it? Paul said it this way to young Timothy, the next generation of pastors that he, had, he was investing in. Paul said it this way to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 2, and the things, Timothy, which thou hast heard among, of me, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Do you see it there? God's plan, Paul told Timothy for the church, is four generations of Christians. The things which thou, that's Timothy, has heard of me, that's Paul, Paul the, I guess you would call it the great-grandfather, to Timothy the grandfather, the same commit thou to faithful men, the, the sons, and they, they, they show uh, that they may be able to teach others also, what, I got messed up in my generations, but whatever, you got four of them there. I don't know what that would be, great-grandpa, grandpa, dad, and son, I guess that's what that would be. The same, why, why do we have a church, really, to reach another generation with the gospel of Christ, that, that God's promises would go to another generation? Why do we have a nursery ministry that people are working in today, and children's ministries, and vacation Bible school, and bus ministry, and a Christian school ministry? Why do we do all of these things? Why? Because God's promises weren't just for some special generation. God's promises are supposed to be passed on to another generation. And I love that here in Genesis 26, the only chapter that's dedicated solely to the life of Isaac, in the beginning verses, what happens? Isaac receives the promises of God. And this morning, I want to give a few encouragements and challenges, first to the older generation from this passage, and then a few encouragements and challenges to the younger generation from this text. Now, you have to decide which one of those you're in. I don't know which one I'm in. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the older one, and sometimes I still feel like I have a whole lot to learn, and I'm in the younger one. I'd like to think I'm in the younger one, and then I get around some younger people and realize I'm not as cool as I think, and maybe I'm in the older one. You figure out which generation you're in, but I want to give a few challenges to each generation there. And uh, you Taurus, did you guys, you got married while I was gone, didn't you? Wave at us back there. Welcome. Just got married. Give them a round of applause. Congratulations. Happy for you guys. Just saw you back there. What do we see from this passage on promises to another generation? What challenges can we take from this? What application can we see from this? Number one, I would suggest to you, those in the older generation, they are learning from our example. They are learning from our example. For better, look at verse number five. Would you read verse number five aloud? Genesis 26, verse 5, ready? Begin. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. What do we see here? I, I'm, I'm giving this promise to the next generation partly because of the example and the actions of your dad and what he had done. That, that Isaac was the beneficiary of the actions of Abraham for better. They, what we do, older generation, it matters. Sometimes as you get a little older, you can start to feel like, well, maybe my time is done. Maybe, maybe what I've done, it's somebody else's time to jump in there, and it's somebody else. If you're still here, your time influencing the next generation is not done. 
I've thought about it probably every week, maybe on many days, almost every day, that phrase that our guest speaker, uh, uh, Jonathan Hoover, said back in May, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And the older generation, your example matters. Well, I was faithful for a long time. Well, I served for a long time. Well, I gave for a long time. Well, I loved for a long time, and now I'm just tired. I think I'm done. Let me just stop and say, if you're still here, God's not done with you. We're learning from your example. Here, Isaac is the beneficiary of the faithfulness. For better, he's the beneficiary of what Abraham had done. I saw you smiling there, Diana, every year at Vacation Bible School. What do you tell the VBS director? That was my last year. How many last years have you been working VBS? About a decade of last years. God's not done. You got another decade ahead of you, all right, Diana? But. But the next generation is learning from our example for better and, by the way, for worse. Look at verse number six, if you will. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked him of his wife. And he said, "Uh uh-oh, next four words, she is my what? What, is that deja vu? Seems like I remember that somewhere. She is my sister, for he feared to say, she is my wife, lest said he, the men of the place, should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. Abraham, the apple didn't fall far from the tree, Isaac was a chip off the old block, they both picked beautiful wives, but they also had a problem about telling the truth about their wives. Hold your hand here, look five chapters back. Look at chapter number 20, verse number 1. Chapter 20, verse number 1. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in where church? In Gerar. Sound familiar? We just read that. Isaac, same spot he's at. And what happened in verse number two? And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my what? You know what's interesting about this? Isaac wasn't even born when that happened. I can't explain all of that. I don't know how all of that works. I don't know if maybe he heard the story. If one point they tried to tell him the story about, well, there was this one time we were in Gerar, and, and I was worried that they were going to think your mom was really pretty, so I said she was my sister, and God spared us, and I shouldn't have said that, and I shouldn't have done that. I don't know how he knew. I, I don't know. I do know that often uh, we, you can study statistics, and even sometimes that, 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 that the sins of the parents sometimes, and I can't explain, I'm not, I'm not trying to get spooky or mystical or saying that if you have your parents had a problem with something that you have no hope. That's what the mercy and grace of God is for. Josiah came from a terrible family situation and was the best king ever. But I do know that you look and Parents that that struggle with certain sins often pass those struggles on to their children. Parents who are abusive have children that often grow up many times on higher percentages to be abusive. Parents that have addiction issues often have children that grow up on higher uh, ratios to, to have addiction struggles. I can't explain it all, but what I can tell you, older generation, they're learning from your example. Isaac wasn't even born yet, but he repeated the sins of the father. In the same place, the same sin, said the same thing, she's my sister. Your priorities matter, older generation. Your choices matter. Your obedience matters. Your commitment to God's word and God's plan and God's promises and God's house matters. Older generation, we need you. You matter. A biblical church, I've said it often, is a multi-generational church. We need the wisdom of the older saints of God. And we need the zeal and excitement and energy and enthusiasm of the younger generation. As you get older, have you ever said something like, whew, I wish I had their energy? We need those with that zeal and that energy in the younger generation, but we need the wisdom and the prudence and the the experience of those in the older generation. A a biblical church is a multi-generational church. If there's a church that you go to that is is all in one generation, there's there's a problem there. Something's not healthy, something's not right, whether it's all younger or all older. A biblical church ought to have generations worshiping together and growing together and learning together. We need each other. Secondly, older generation, as we, as we look at God's promises to another generation, a reminder, they're learning from our example. Secondly, a reminder, they're going to make some mistakes. They're going to make some mistakes. What did we just see Isaac did? He just lied about his sister. Verse number eight, and it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. True story on this verse. 
I was probably a freshman in Bible college, sitting in a, in a class. My pastor, who's now my father-in-law, I was dating his, his daughter at that time. We had just started dating. And, and uh, he taught a class. It was a practical ministry class that they called church education. And, and in one of those, in one class he said, um, you guys need to know the Bible so that if you're given a topic to preach on, you can, you can, you, you have biblical principles to support what it is. And he said, let's, let's do some, a fun exercise here. Let's preach on, one of you is going to preach on why sports are good, and one of you is going to preach on why sports are bad. And, uh, and whoever got why sports are bad, I think they talked about bodily exercise profiteth little, and it, it, it's a profit, but don't, don't get too much into it because it's, there's, you know, it's more important to be spiritually minded than physically minded. And I'm sitting there like, I don't know, sports are good. I love sports, but what, what are they good about? And a friend of mine who was a little older, and he was sitting next to me, he set me up. He said, well, in Genesis 26, true story, he said, it said Abraham sported with Rebecca, his wife. <laughs> I turned to Genesis 26. I read the verse. I knew nothing about the context. I'm like, yeah, he's right. In front of my father-in-law, whose daughter I was dating at the time, who wasn't my father-in-law at the time, but I was trying to make him my father-in-law. I stood up and talked about sports are good because Abraham sported with his wife. <laughs> now, for married couples, I guess sports are good, but, but I digress. But, but that's not what that's talking about. That's, there, there's something going on there that makes it very clear that she's not his sister. And, and, and he looks out and he sees that he's not his sister. And it says in verse number nine, and Abimelech called Isaac, again, by the way, good reason why you should study the Bible and know context of scripture, all right? Uh, Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, a surety, she is thy wife. How saidst thou she is my sister? And Isaac said unto her, because I said, lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, what is this thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lined with your wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. Somebody could have taken your wife to be their wife, and then we would have been guilty of, of adultery. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, he that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Older generation, as we pass on the promises of God to another generation, can I remind you, the younger generation is going to make some mistakes. Give them some grace. Let them grow. I'm glad that as a young man in ministry that, that some people in our home church gave some grace and let me grow. I'm glad that to this day a, a church family here gives some grace and allows me as a pastor to grow. I'll make some mistakes I have and I will in the future. They're going to make some mistakes. Do you remember what it was like to be younger? Did you make any mistakes? How many of you, like me, are glad social media wasn't around when you were in high school and college? Right? I wouldn't get a job anywhere. By the way, church, we're supposed to be here for the next generation when they make mistakes. That's what the church is for. I was preaching camp a couple weeks ago on the island of Kauai for dear friends of ours, and I was talking to one of the youth workers there. She was in charge of the music. She had played and led the music, did, did a beautiful job, amazing musician. Her husband was in charge of the games and was helping to run the camp. A young couple, I'm guessing 25, 26. Young couple on fire for the Lord, passionate youth workers in that church, uh, working and, and, and were doing those things. And, and actually her mom uh, came to our church for a, a short season. And I didn't know, I knew that her mom had come, but I didn't know this, this girl at all, this young lady, young wife. I didn't know her really. I, I don't think I'd ever even met her, maybe once. And we were sitting one day in the morning, and I was talking to her, and I was just talking about her mom and talking her sister that was coming to our church for a little while, just got married and is on island with her husband there, and they were helping out at the camp, two sisters from Southern California. And I was just asking her story. We have some mutual relationships. We know some, some of the same people, and uh, the, the, the Baptist world, it can be a small world at times, and, and we knew some of the same people. I was asking her story. And she had told me how she grew up here in Southern California, not at our church, at another church, and went off to Bible college. And while she was at Bible college, she was telling me, she said, I, I did some things I shouldn't have done. I made some mistakes as a young person, and, and rightly so, I got kicked out of college. I got kicked out of the Bible college. I had, I had knowingly done some things that were worthy of getting kicked out of the Bible college, and she had met the man that's now her husband there at Bible college, and they were dating, and she moved back home. And she told me, she said, when I got back home, my, my pastor met with me and my mom, and I'd been kicked out in the middle of the semester. She said, and he told me, what I want you guys to do is, until May or June, when school gets out, every Sunday, said the mom's name, I want you to drop your daughter off at another church. And I want her to go to church by herself, and then you can come to our church, and 
Then when May or June rolls around, you guys can start coming back to church. That way, everybody will, won't, no one will know that you got kicked out, and we'll just deal with it that way. And she said, she said, Pastor Ryan, she said, I sat there in that church as whatever, 19, 20-year-old, 18-year-old, whatever she was. I said, what church was it? She said, I don't even know the name. I said, who's the pastor? She said, I don't know. I went there for six or eight weeks. She said, I sat there by myself, didn't know anybody. Sunday after Sunday for a month or two, they dropped me off. And she said, I was this close to walking away from all of it. She said, I was this close to giving up on Christianity. This is, this is how, when I mess up and I make a mistake and I struggle, this is how I get treated and I have to be hidden and so we can keep the image of the church and not have to deal with that. And this is what happens. We can't deal with the reality of my life and my struggles and I, I just have to go to this church. And she said, I'm so glad that I didn't, but I almost threw it all away. I almost walked away from God in that season because I was so disillusioned. I considered walking away from Christianity and from church, and I was there this week, or two weeks ago, three weeks ago, while she and her husband that, that made some mistakes as younger teenagers were now being used mightily of God. I was in church last Sunday as she was on the piano and singing her, her heart out to the Lord. May I just stop and say, church family, when she needed her church family because of some mistakes she had made, she was shunned from her church family to protect protect an image. Liberty family, if our church can't be there for a young person when they've made some mistakes and some wrong choices, then why are we here? Aren't we here to help and to love and to minister to the single parent who just went through a divorce? Aren't we here to love and support the teenager who finds themselves expecting a child? Aren't we here to pray for and show the love of Christ to the one who is struggling with alcohol or some other addiction? I'm not excited about sinful choices and life-altering consequences, but I am excited this morning about the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the restoration that is offered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next generation will make some mistakes. Don't give up on them, and don't forget you were once them making some mistakes too. Those of us who have received the mercy and the grace of God should be the quickest to show mercy and grace to others. You know who doesn't show mercy and grace to others? When they mess up, you know who gets excited when they hear about somebody destroying their lives? You know who gets excited when they hear about somebody else? Those who have forgotten how much they've been forgiven. Have you forgotten how much you've been forgiven this morning? Did God use Isaac in his redemption plan to bring Jesus Christ into this world? 100% yes, he did. Did Isaac, as a young husband, make some mistakes? 100% yes, he did. A good reminder to us, they will make some mistakes. Number three. A reminder to the older generation, they can be blessed by God. Look at verse 11, please. Now, we already read verse 11. Look at verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land, so he began to do his farming, and he received. God told him, stay here. Don't go to Egypt. It's, I know you think it's a famine. You need to go somewhere else. Stay here. I'm going to bless you where you're at. And he received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. A hundredfold, that's unheard of. A hundredfold return on his investment. Return. And all of us would like a hundredfold return on our investment. That's why you invested in Dogecoin. You were hoping for a hundredfold return. And if you're like me, you didn't get it, right? I didn't buy too much, but I did buy a few hoping for a hundredfold. Verse 13, and the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. You know what this is a reminder of? The next generation can be blessed of God. You know what the cycle often is? When we're the younger generation, we want the older generation to believe in us, and we get frustrated when they point out our differences or whatever it might be, and then at some point we become the older generation and we become that one that doesn't believe in the next generation. And we point out all the reasons why my generation was better. It's not a generational war. We need each other. We're in this thing together. And this is a good reminder. The next generation can be blessed by God. There was a famine, and God blessed Isaac. It wasn't just Abraham whose, whose business was blessed. Sometimes, if you're not careful, in, in churches especially, if you've been saved for any length of time, we can think the good old days were the best. Well, everything was perfect back, and whatever that was for you. Back in the 90s, back in the 80s, back in the 70s, back in the 60s, 
oh, when we had the hippie revolution and, and free love and all of those things, there was no perfect generation. No generation had everybody living for God and just, you know, doing everything they were supposed to. Every generation had its struggles. God can bless the next generation. Let's believe in them, not, not just sit there and analyze and criticize them. Isaac is a reminder that God was still at work after Abraham's death. God is still blessing and using this generation. All hope is not lost, church family. No, Elijah, you're not the only one standing for God. Can I say that again, Elijah? You're not the only one in this church that loves God. This church isn't the only church in Orange County that loves God. This church isn't the only church in America that loves God. Elijah, there are still 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. God can still bless this generation. There are still Elishas out there, Elijah. There are still Joshuas out there, Moses. There are still Timothys out there, Paul. Let's love the next generation. Number four. A reminder from this passage, they can be used of God. Look at verse 17, please. And Isaac departed thence. So the enemies, the Philistines, they, they were envious of Isaac's success, so they filled up all the wells with dirt. That was a big deal. That would be like somebody shutting off all of your water and your electricity at your house or your business. You'd have a really hard time doing anything. Or even worse, shutting off all your Wi-Fi. Imagine that. You can go without water for a little while. We can't go without Wi-Fi, am I right? So they just shut off all the water, the Wi-Fi, and the electricity. That's what they just did. They filled up all the wells with dirt that Abraham had dug. Abraham had dug these wells, and they filled them all up. Verse 12, 17, and Isaac departed and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, the water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. So they went somewhere else. They digged another well and strove for that also, and he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well, and for that they strove not, and he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, for now the Lord hath made room for us, look at this, and we shall be fruitful in the land. You know what I saw as I thought about this? My last challenge to the older generation as we seek to pass God's promises to another generation, not only can they be blessed by God, they can be used by God. They can do the work that needs to be done. It wasn't, and I've heard preachers preach on this passage, I never quite heard it from this perspective that God showed me as I studied it, with I've heard about as the next generation we need to dig back where it was dug, and I'm not against that message of, you know, we, we need to get back to the things, the, the fundamentals of our faith and back to those things. But you know what else is taught here? It wasn't only Abraham who could do the life-giving work that needed to be done for God's people. It was also Isaac. It wasn't only Abraham that could dig the wells, Isaac dug the wells too. It wasn't only, well, we're losing it all. It wasn't only, we have those thoughts sometimes. It wasn't just Abraham that digged wells to help God's people. Isaac did too. And church family, we need to be reminded the next generation can be used of God to do the work that needs to be done in their generation for their people. And if they don't, we're in trouble because like Abraham, all of us at some point are going to be gone. We better hope the next generation can be used of God. That's why I love that our youth pastor, Ryan Cavan, started in our church nursery. And now there are four generations of his family serving God in this church this morning. His grandma is serving, uh, Miss, Miss Cavan serving in the children's ministry right now. And her great-grandsons are in the church nursery right now. A good reminder, the next generation can be used of God. It's why I love that Andy Young is here, and Rebecca Lee, and Kaylee Godby, and Evan Young, and Ashlyn Thompson, and others who all grew up in our youth group are, are able to work and serve alongside of others in our music ministry and on the music team. I love that Max Krosky and Josiah Neese and other teens sing in our choir, that Abby Bowman and Lainey Bonin and Cassandra Kilanita worked at our summer camp this year. I love that there were dozens of teens that volunteered at VBS this year. I love that Anna Young and Ashley Mayfield and Jen McMaines and Shannon Garcelle, who all grew up in our church and school ministries, are now serving as Christian school teachers in our school ministry. 
I love that Ryan and Elizabeth Strother and Tom and Anna Chapman and soon Ben and Ashley Bauckham, who were here as young people, are, are now serving the Lord as missionaries in other places where God has called them and led them. I love that Susanna Smith and, and, and uh, uh, Madison Passy and others were, were, uh, were, were uh, counselors at teen camp, and Titus Thompson was a lead teacher at Vacation Bible School, and Brian McMains and Caden Godby work on our maintenance team every week, and I could keep on going, but what I'm trying to say is the next generation can be used of God. Now, I hope they follow our example. And I hope they dig some of the wells the, the way that we dug them. I hope they, they learn from our example. But let's not think it's why a couple Sunday nights ago I had Stephen Wheeler, a young man just out of his master's degree in college, who's training for the ministry here, just joined our church staff. Well, I had him preach on a Sunday night two Sunday nights ago. Why was that? Because we need to be investing in the next generation that's training for God's work. Amen. The next generation can be used of God. They must be used of God. If we want a church here in 20 or 30 years, they must be used of God, which leads me to the final portion of my message, my challenge to the younger generation. To the older generation, a reminder this morning, they're learning from our example for better or worse. They're going to make some mistakes. They can be blessed by God. They can be used by God. To the younger generation, I want to challenge you. You need to keep your priorities right. Look at the last verse of chapter 25 right before we got to 26. Last verse of chapter 25, verse number 34, where we ended a few weeks ago. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. And what, is the, what are the last five words of that verse? Would you read them aloud? Genesis 25, verse 34, the last five words of that verse. Ready? Begin. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What do we see there? A young man with wrong priorities. I preached on it a few weeks ago, today's choices, tomorrow's path, today's priorities, tomorrow's path. What do we see here? A, a young man making a bad decision. What were Esau's priorities? Esau's priorities were today. Esau's priorities were fleshly. Esau's priorities were what felt good. He was hungry, he had, a, he, had a, he had a really an eternal gift birthright that he was the right, had the rights to. Culturally speaking, it was an unbelievable blessing, the birthright and the blessing that he had. Even spiritually speaking, I guess you could say, and it's all part of God's plan, but I guess you could say, really, humanly speaking, Christ should have come through Esau's lineage. He was that firstborn. Now, I, I, I get it that God knew and understood all of that with Jacob, but humanly speaking, he was the one with the birthright and the blessing. And what did he do? The Bible says he despised his birthright. He didn't think very highly of it. He didn't care about tomorrow. He cared about what made him feel good today. And young people, if you're going to be blessed by God, and if you're going to be used by God, you're going to have to have the right priorities, because if you choose in your teens and in your 20s and in your 30s to do only that which is going to make you feel good today, you are going to reap consequences of that for generations. And there will be some ways that God cannot bless you or that God cannot use you because of your priorities today. You got to keep your priorities right. Esau's priorities were today what felt good. He wasn't thinking about how that decision as a young person would affect him and his family. He was thinking about, I'm hungry. Don't make the same mistake, young people. Don't choose what feels good today over what will be good for you tomorrow. Young person, your priorities matter, eternal over earthly, faith over flesh, God's plan over your plan, God's wisdom over worldly wisdom. Can I just tell you this, as somebody who isn't quite as young as he used to be, the places and the ways that you make God your priority as a young person, you will have no regrets about as you grow older. The only regrets you'll have as you grow older are the places where you don't make God's word and God's plan and God's, God's principles your priority. You might not regret that right now because it might feel really good right now. And it might be bringing you a high right now. And it might be bringing you some pleasure that, 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 that you're enjoying right now, but can I tell you, as somebody who's been in vocational ministry for 23 years, there will come a day, like Esau, that you'll look back and say, why did I sell all of that for a bowl of soup? 
Why, why didn't I keep my priorities right as a young person? Keep your priorities right, young people. Understand the gift of youth. And, and I want to challenge you and ask you this morning, if you're a teenager, you're a college student, you're a young couple, are you prioritizing? Are your, where are your priorities? Are you prioritizing your job over your relationship with God? Are you prioritizing a relationship in your life over your commitment to Christ? Are you prioritizing pleasure over scriptural living? Teenager, college student, young adult, young couple, what are you prioritizing? Younger generation, another thing I see in this passage, another application I think we can take from the life of Isaac, number two, you need to stay in the right place. You need to keep the the right priorities, you need to stay in the right place. Verse number two, and the Lord appeared unto him and said, go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Stay in the right place, young people. You ever hear somebody say about a major event in their life that they look back on with great regret? I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Where we spend our time and where, what, what places we choose to be matter as the, the next generation that's going to live for God. Don't go down to Egypt. Go not down into Egypt, a picture of the world, ungodly people. Stay close to God. Stay in God's house. Stay with God's people. Stay in God's word. Egypt doesn't have anything to offer you compared to what God has to offer. He didn't know it at this time. Isaac didn't know it. In his flesh, he wanted to go to Egypt. He didn't know it, but when he stayed where God wanted him to stay, God had an hundredfold blessing waiting for him. He didn't know the blessing that was going to come, staying where he was supposed to stay, when maybe all of those around him were going somewhere else, and their life seemed a little bit easier, and their life seemed a little bit better, but he listened to the Word of God, stayed where he was supposed to stay, and guess what? He received a hundredfold blessing. When the crops came in, aren't you, don't you think Isaac was glad he stayed in the right place? He stayed in the place of God's blessing in his life. I see young people in this generation running to the world and what the world has to offer in their younger years. Stay in the right place, young people. I see others running even to worldly churches where they're surrounded by a bunch of people their age because they can hear what they want to hear in the message and in the music, and they choose it based solely on what feels good, based solely on, well, that message makes me feel good. Well, that music makes me feel good. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy the music. I enjoy the music here, but there are far deeper, more important things to choose where you're serving God, where you're staying, the church you're going to. Young people, you need a church with some white-haired people and some bald-headed people. We need each other. Don't run to Egypt and don't run to the churches of Egypt. Number three, number three, the next generation, God's promises to another generation. If, if we're going to see them passed down, I want to challenge you, you need to hear from God yourself. What happened in verses 3 and 4? God talked to Isaac. It wasn't just stories he had heard about Abraham. Oh, I remember my dad told me when God gave him a promise. Oh, I remember my dad told me that God showed up to him and promised me, and I remember he told me, he promised that he would give us all these lands, and man, I've got a great inheritance. My dad told me, my dad told me that he had some personal experiences with God. My dad told me he remembered some real sweet times of fellowship with God. Boy, my dad was real close to God, and in Genesis 26, his dad's gone, and his dad's relationship can't do anything for him anymore. In Genesis 26, who's hearing from God now? Isaac's hearing from God himself. Who's receiving the promises of God? Isaac's receiving the promises of God himself. Who's getting, having close fellowship with God? Isaac's having close fellowship with God himself, and to the next generation, If we are going to see God's promises to another generation, there's going to have to come a time where this isn't your parents' church, and this isn't your parents' Bible, and He isn't your parents' God. He's your God, and this is your Bible, and it's your choice, and His plan for your life is your choice. You're not just going to church on Sunday because your parents made you, and they forced you to go to the Christian school. No, He is my God, and somewhere along the way, He's going to have to move from your parents' God to your God if we're going to see God's promises passed on to another generation. 
Now's the time, young people, to develop your own relationship with God. Make your own decisions on how you're going to live for God, on the things you will do and won't do, not because your parents said so, but because the love of Christ constrains you. Get in God's Word. Make a commitment to His church. Grow in Him. Now is the time. Remember now, thy Creator, in the days of thy youth, we need another generation. And then lastly, then lastly, younger generation, you need to learn from our mistakes. How many times did Isaac lie about his wife being his sister? How many times? Once. Anybody remember how many times Abraham lied about his wife being his sister? Twice. I I, I can't say for sure, I don't know, but seems like the younger generation learned their lesson a little more quickly than the older generation. Seems like Abraham was a little more hard-headed and a little more stubborn, and had to, had to get in trouble a little bit more. And to the younger generation, what I'm saying to you is learn from our mistakes. Sometimes when you grow up in church, you might hear somebody's testimony about how they lived in the world, and they were strung out on drugs, and they had this party lifestyle, and they did all this, and they did all of that, and then God miraculously saved me. And it's amazing. And sometimes if you're not careful, you grow up thinking, man, I wish I had a testimony like that. That's a really cool testimony. And you know what my boring testimony is? I was born into a Christian family. I started going to church somewhere at like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I never got to try any of that fun stuff. And I don't have any scars, and I don't have any addictions, and I don't have any criminal record. I don't have anything fun in my life. I've got no, I've got no, you know, debt and no child support payments. I don't have any of these things that, that all these people that God saved. And it's amazing how God reached them. May I just stop and say a testimony of what God kept you from is just as powerful as a testimony of what God saved you from. Learn from the older generation's mistakes. Don't buy into the lie. What am I missing out on? What am I missing out on by that? I wish I could have lived that life for a little while, and then why did I have to be born into the church? Why did I have to be born into a Christian family? By the way, no one's truly born into the church, the assembly of God. You have to be saved into it, but you understand what I'm saying. Why did I have to be born into that? Why why, why is that? May I stop and say, you've been given a great gift. You've been given a great gift if that's your testimony. You don't have to walk away. It's been said, the one thing we fail to learn from history is to learn from history. Some people say experience is the best teacher. Someone once said, it's not always the best teacher. Someone else's experience is the best teacher. Learn from somebody else's mistakes. Javen, we've talked about this before. I think you got saved in your early 20s, if I remember correctly. Would it have saved you a lot of pain and regret and scars to have been saved and grow up in church at an earlier age? Absolutely. Joe, I think you got saved somewhere in your 40s, I think, if I remember correctly. Do you sometimes wish you could have those 40 years to give to Christ rather than some of the things you gave your life to in those years? Sure. Greg, you got saved a couple years ago, beautiful testimony. Is it your prayer that your seven precious children won't have the same stories and some of the things that you have in your past now that you're saved and bringing them up in church? Absolutely. Young people, learn from our mistakes, don't repeat them. Isaac repeated them once, thankfully not twice. God's promises to another generation. God's still at work in this generation. Don't give up. The next generation, they're going to make some mistakes, but God can still use them. God can still bless them. We need them. Young people, you need to keep the right priorities, stay in the right place. You need to hear from God yourself, and then you need to learn from our mistakes. If you're younger and you're saved, that's a great gift. Maybe somebody you know graduated from the School of Hard Knocks so you wouldn't have to. Don't squander that gift of of the head start. Don't squander that gift of innocence. Don't squander that gift of purity. Don't squander that gift of a knowledge of Christ at a very early age. Learn from the mistakes of the generation that went before you. Genesis 26. I loved it as I read it. I read it and I thought, that's Abraham's covenant. But it's not Abraham's anymore. It's Isaac's. Abraham's gone, and God's given his promises to another generation. And that's his plan. And and by the way, Isaac's going to be gone, and God's going to give his promises to Jacob, whose name's going to become Israel. 
and then to his children, and it's going to pass on generation to generation, and to David, and to Solomon. It's going to keep going until eventually the promise is going to come to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. And why did God give that promise to Isaac in Genesis 26? It was so, the promise, the fulfillment of it was that Christ would come to earth. Why? To live a sinless life. Why? To pay for your sins and for mine. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, make today the day that God's promises are passed to another generation of the child of God. That you become a new baby in Christ, a new, the next generation of Christians in the family of God, in God's family, and in the Liberty Baptist Church family, but far more important than the church family is God's family. Become a Christian today. Let the promises of God be passed to another generation of believers. For those of you that maybe you've been at this thing for a little while, we need you. Don't quit. Don't don't stop praying. Don't stop serving. Don't stop giving. Don't stop sharing the love of Christ with people around you. We need you. To the younger generation, we need you. Fall in love with Christ for yourself. Get in his word. Get the right priorities. Stay in the right place. Trust me, 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, if you do, you'll come back and say, Pastor Ryan, I'm so glad I listened to that truth. I'm glad I developed a relationship. I kept my priorities right in my teen years, in my college years, and as a young couple. I'm glad we kept our priorities right as a middle-aged couple. I'm glad we stayed in the right place. I'm glad we learned from some of your mistakes. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, God wants you to become his child. You can place your trust and faith in Christ alone, and another generation of believers can be born into the family of God. For me, it was, oh, what are we at now, 30, 37, 38 years ago now. As a nine-year-old boy, I walked, that's not right, because I'm not 47, so whatever it was. It's 14 years ago today, as a nine-year-old boy, I walked into, I walked into a Bible-preaching church, and at that time, There were no generations of my family that knew Christ as Savior that were making Him a priority. And today, to God's glory, not mine, there are four generations of my family faithfully in Bible-preaching churches, trying to serve God. God wants to pass His promises to another generation. To the older generation, we need the younger generation. To the younger generation, you need the older generation. Let's Let's let God use us to pass his promises to another generation. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.